and the people of God said amen thank you so much choir thank you for preparing our hearts and minds for the moment of preaching would you join me this morning in the gospel of John chapter 4 the gospel of John chapter 4 and I want to read the first six verses and concentrating on verse 4 through 6. Gospel of John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Here's the word of the Lord. When therefore the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing but his disciples were, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary from his journey, was sitting by the well, for it was about the sixth hour. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> On last Sunday, I wrestled with verses 1 through 3 as we took a look at the urgency of Jesus to leave Judea and get back to Galilee to meet the internal spiritual concerns of the disciples who had to deal with the death of John the Baptist. This Sunday, I want to deal with verses 4 through 6, but I want to just highlight verse 4. Because again, there is so much packed in the language of verse 4 uh, that I want to couple verse 4 with a single word that comes to pass in verse 6. Actually, I want to use a phrase in verse 6 as well. So verse 4 says that he had, I want you to highlight this in your Bible, he had, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. And when he gets there, he finds a well, historically Jacob's well, but verse 6 says something that's incredibly not only affirming but it's connecting to those of us who are followers of Jesus. Verse 6 says when he gets to Jacob's well Jesus here's the phrase being weary from his journey so he had to go through Samaria. He gets the Jacob's well, but he sits there because he is weary 
from his journey. And remember, I said on last Sunday, I'm going to talk about up until the Easter Sunday, the faces of Jesus. And this is what I call the face of familiarity or the familiar face of Jesus. Borrowing from the language of Isaiah 53, he is a man who is not only full of sorrow, but he also is acquainted with grief. He goes back to strengthen these disciples because of a grieving moment. But he had to go through Samaria because he was weary on the journey. There's an old Chinese proverb, and I want you to listen to it attentively because it houses so much truth that it is somewhat of a connecting saying to the text of John 4, but more importantly, to the ministry and the work of Jesus as he moves through this unfamiliar territory, at least to us, called Samaria. Here's a proverb. If you want one year of prosperity, grow grain. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. But if you want 100 years of prosperity, grow people. Let me say that again. If you want one year of prosperity, grow grain. If you want 10 years of prosperity, grow trees. But if you want 100 years of prosperity, grow people. If you've noticed, the intensity for growth at each level becomes more intense. The initial of just a year is mere planting of the grain. But if you want to multiply that by 10, then you must seek to extract from the soil trees. But if you want a lifetime of prosperity, invest in people, grow people, and you will see how God will do tremendous things. Perhaps you have entertained a familiar question as I have regarding experiences in life. And that question is this, why have certain experiences occurred the way they did? Why did things occur in the manner in which they did? And when I looked at the things in my own life, I sort of took a trip back to scripture and I started asking the question, why did God, for example, let a two-week journey, which should have only been two weeks for Israel, turn into a 40-year journey. Now, try to get this in your mind for a moment. What should have only taken two weeks ended up being a 40-year journey. Two weeks 
and 40 years. When I read Numbers 13 and 14, it tells me why such came about. It wasn't necessarily God's choice that they would only go, I wouldn't say only go, but that they would end up being in the wilderness for 40 years. But it was God's choice that they would go a different route than where they previously had planned. In Exodus chapter 13, it says that God took them on a different route because he did not lead them by the way of the Philistines, which would have been the short route, but he didn't lead them that way, says the text, lest the people change their minds when they saw war and would turn back and go back to Egypt. So in other words, God says, if I let them go the short route, I know because they have not yet really been in a confrontation, if I take them through the short route, as soon as they see war, they'll turn around and go back to the familiar space. And you keep that in mind. Because if I took that old Chinese proverbs and made it applicable, it may be God's way of saying, if I let you go through merely only the short route, you would just settle for a year's blessing. But if I really wanted to get you to understand the importance of investing in yourself and life that you might transform people, it's going to take a long time to see that transformation. And let me bring, a little bit, bring home a little bit closer. For you know that you have known folk that probably something that should have changed their life should have only taken about 14 days. And here we are 50 years later and they are still dealing with the same thing that should have been changed a long time ago. But I wonder why? Why, why Lord must it take so long for that to take place? And God really says... Here's my reason for letting them go through the wilderness. It's not only that whenever they see war, they will turn around and go back, but Numbers 13 and 14, particularly 14 says, I did this because when they got the report from the spies who went into Canaan, 40 days is what I allowed them to spend in Canaan, and when the 10 spies came back with a negative report, they embraced the report of the, of the majority instead of listening to the report in which Joshua and Caleb gave, which would have been the minority report. And since they couldn't take my blessing in 40 days, then maybe they can take it in 40 years. And so they end up walking through the wilderness for 40 years. But they also go through that because God says in Numbers 14, I needed to purge them. I needed to purge them of what was in their minds, what was in their hearts. But here it is, the purging that God did, they all died in the wilderness, except Joshua and Caleb. In fact, when you read Numbers 14 around verse 28 all the way to 32, God makes clear, here it is, Moses and Aaron, let me tell you something. Those who questioned and doubted me, 
their corpse will die in the wilderness. And it's going to take 40 years, that's a generation, for that to happen. And they're going to wander, and I'm going to let them wander, but I'm going to protect their children. But I'm going to allow them to see the agony of what happens when they distrust me. And I will allow them to watch how even though their children are vulnerable in the wilderness because their parents are dying, I'm going to take care of their children while they're in the wilderness. But, but Lord, wouldn't it just be best to just wipe them out, get it over with, instead of making them travel for 40 years? No, no. Because sometimes we don't get the message even with an immediate consequence of a situation. But when it lingers and lingers and lingers, the message seems to come through clear that God is purging us from some access baggage and from people and from issues and from attitudes and from doubts and from fears. But then I thought there was another occasion that would give me some clarity and I got to the New Testament and I said in reference to the man of John 9 that Jesus heals who's blind. Remember the story where Jesus takes clay and he spits within it, and then he anoints the man's eyes, makes a salve, and then he tells them, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And my question is, why not just heal the man? Just heal him and send him away. Why anoint his eyes with your spittle and mud, and then send him to find his way out of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam. Just heal him, because if you had done this, it would have been simple. In fact, you just healed people before. Why not just heal the man, make it quite impressive to the subject and to those who are watching, and we're done. The impression is there. It would have been a whole lot cleaner and less controversial for the man and his family. But when you read that story, the answer is actually wrapped up in verse 7 of chapter 9 of John. In which Jesus anoints his eyes and the answer is actually in his commission. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. Where's the answer? It's in the word Siloam. Because the word Siloam is the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word shaloah, which comes from the Hebrew verb shalah, which means to send out, here it is, or to let go. Watch this. Starting to see after a long time of being blind is much more mind-blowing than going blind after a long time of seeing. Did you get what I said? Listen to it closely. Starting to see after a long time of being blind is much more mind-blowing than going blind after a long time of seeing. In other words, healing a man who has been blind since birth virtually requires that Jesus must bring death to the blindness of the man and then allow his resurrection 
to portray as the new seeing man. In other words, Jesus raises the question to the disciples, if you were at this place, blindness, and you wanted to get to this place, sight, are you willing to trust God and follow his direction when it certainly doesn't make sense? Remember what he tells them. As he sends them not in the next few steps, but he sends them outside of the city limits to a pool of Siloam. Now, read, the read in between the lines in the story. And remember, I told you last Sunday, observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Observation. How he going to get from point A to point B when he can't see? Could be, could be someone had to help him out of the city. That's a possibility. But why do that when you could just instantly heal the man and the man could walk away seeing and everyone around him would see that Jesus is a healer? Could it be that God is saying, well, I told him to go, not anybody else. I told him to go and I told him to wash in the pool of Siloam. But the meaning of Siloam is past tense, sent. Which meant that Jesus said, remember when the disciples raised the question earlier in chapter 9, Master, did this man sin or who did sin, he or his parents? And Jesus says, neither. But this is an incident where God's going to get the glory. And even when people don't understand what I'm doing and why I do it, if the man just followed my instruction, everybody going to recognize not only from whom all blessings flow, but how to trust me when you can't trace me, but yet allow your witness to be willing to follow my direction. And so the man is in a peculiar place. Does he have a choice? And the answer is no. Where, where, where am I going? First of all, I can't see. And the condition can't get no worse than what it already is. So the only thing I can do in the language of Soren Kierkegaard, let me take a leap of faith and just walk out and we'll just see what's going to happen. Sometimes when God doesn't make sense, you just got to say, you know what? It don't make sense, God, but I'm just going to go on and jump out in this thing and just follow your directions. Even when I really cannot see how this adds up. It's like in the words of Peter when Jesus says, cast your net on the other side. Go back into the deep. And Peter said, look, we've been out here all night long. In fact... Might I remind you, we are experienced fishermen and we know when fish are biting. And I'm not trying to insult you, Jesus, but I don't know the last time you've ever been on a fishing boat. And if you got any fishing experience with all, nevertheless, says Peter, even when you don't make sense, I'm going to go on back out there anyway. And when you do that, when Peter launched his net, look what God does. He filled up Peter's net so much so that Peter couldn't even bring back what he had. He had to call for assistance from others. And what, this is what God is doing. If you follow my direction, I'll bless you so that you can't bring it all back by yourself. But you got to share it with somebody else. Because I don't want you to just grow grain for a year. I want you to grow people for a lifetime. And so I'll give you more than you even asked for. And so, Lord, why, 
why work this out this way? And Jesus says, I had to do it. So much so that Jesus says, I wanted to give them a mind-blowing experience. When you read down in John 9, get to around verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, he gave a mind-blowing experience because everybody standing around witnessed his miracle and said, is this he who was once blind? Others said, it looks like him. He looks familiar. And the man said, oh, trust me, it's me. I'm the one who was blind because I know who it is. Here's the lesson. Chapter 4 of John. Jesus says, follow the pattern. I went back and gave comfort to the disciples. And I wanted to go to Galilee. I could have did like Jews typically do. I could have went around Samaria, and I want to talk about that a little bit more next Sunday. Went around. Here's, here it is. When you try to go around what God has planned for you, you're going to discover that it's a long journey. When you go around. And Jesus said, I could have took, look, I could have took the route like everybody else do, but I took the straight shot. I went straight to Galilee, but I had to go through, underscore, I had to go through Samaria. I had to go through there. I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to go there, but I had to go through Samaria. And if you follow that train of logic, in each of the previous mentioned episodes I said, in the children of the wilderness of Israel and in the man of John 9, each of them is identified with both the stated and unstated phrase, they had to go through. Okay, you're not, you're not getting anything plain for you. Israel had to go in that direction because what was waiting for them there was manna when they were hungry and water when they were thirsty and protection when they met their enemies and the provision of God's guidance, fire or cloud by day and fire by night. I had to take them that way in order for them to see how much I can provide for them. The man, the man couldn't instantly be healed because the man's healing was not necessarily for the glory of his own manifestation, but not only for God, but for those who were standing around and who would bring questions as to why is the man healed. And God providentially, I believe, designed Jesus' journey that he had to go through Samaria. And that says to me that there's some episodes in which God, even when I try to get, get around from going in the direction, I'm not by myself, uh, when God tells me to go one way and, and I said, but I know a shortcut where there's less confrontation and less challenges, and here it is, and it's a quicker time. And God says, oh, I know it's quicker, but you will miss out on the lesson that I'm trying to teach you in, in, the, in where I want. I'm going to take you straight through just where you don't want to go. 
And I don't know, I tell God sometimes, don't you understand? I don't want to go there. I don't want to experience that. I'm not interested in that situation because it's confrontational. It takes a long time. It challenges me and it puts pressure on me and it stretches me. And right now, at this point in time in my life, I'm just not interested, Lord. And it's almost as if God said, glad to hear your opinion. But guess what? It doesn't matter when it comes to my direction. Because I know Jesus had some reluctancy. Samaria? I don't want to go through Samaria because we already know we got conflict with the Samaritans. But that's where God sent him. He sent him there and you and I have to go where we don't want to go sometimes because God is, number one, confronting us. He's confronting us about something that we really don't want to deal with and yet God is saying you must deal with it or else it will become baggage in your own thinking and eventually all you do is think about that and you will become overwhelmed with it and you will never be able to handle any other confrontation that's bigger than what this is. So God confronts us. He confronts us in that moment to trust his grace and to trust his direction and to trust his answer to prayer. But God also not only confronts us, but he puts us in a position that he might change us. I want to change your attitude. I want to change your mind. I want to change your thinking. I want to change your opinion about things. I want to change your opinion about people. And I want to change your opinion about how things can be handled in a very divine manner. And I, I told God many times, I don't need changing. They or it might need changing. But I don't need changing. And once again, it's as if God said to me, have you looked in the mirror lately? Have you seen yourself? And in my own way, yep, I've seen myself. I'm fine just the way I am. I don't have a problem with it. And again, as if God says, I know you don't, but guess who does? So God says, I need to change you, and I do that by confronting you so that when the end result comes, it's conforming you. And God sometimes takes us through strange, peculiar, purposeful places to conform us. He connects us around and personally becoming intimate with people that we don't necessarily like, circumstances we certainly could care less about and do without. And have you noticed, because I have, in all of that when I try to escape, the door is shut. I can't get out. All the crying and praying and snotting and falling on the ground and fasting doesn't open the door. God still leaves the door shut. In fact, in shutting the door, he has the audacity to padlock it that I know I can't get out. And it's as if God is saying, we're going to be here for such a time as this. I got you in this space. 
and you had to come through here because you wanted to get away from the blindness and you wanted to see. Well, if you want to see, here's my process. And here we are in conditions that we don't find favorable. And the text says in verse 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria which gives us a familiar face of who Jesus is. But, but I'm convinced initially it's not necessarily for confrontation or even for witnessing with the Samaritans. That, that comes later. But verse 6 tells me something about Jesus that I identify with. It, it makes me recognize why I love the Lord so much and helps me, helps me grasp why I, I am a big Jesus freak. It says in verse 6, clause B, he's at the well, he gets in Samaria, and watch what God does, takes him back to familiar grounds. Don't you, don't you think it's ironic that he gets into Samaria, and of all places, he goes and sits by Jacob's well. Of all places, Jacob's well. As if he gives him a connection to his history to remind him that Jacob dug this well for the provision of his own children. He gave them physical water. I'm going to sit you here because I'm going to use you to meet a woman and give her spiritual water at Jacob's well. But before you do that, before you do that, Jesus, before you do that, Zion, I, I know that the journey has made you weary, has exhausted you, has drained you, has pulled everything out of you that you could possibly imagine. And when I read this, I got to looking at the New Testament a little bit deeper, and I found out this seemed to be a norm for Jesus. J Jesus, he's weary in Samaria. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Jesus gives this familiar face of identify with my emotions and my mental breakdowns. Jesus, he's weary in Samaria. He's disturbed when he's in Nazareth. He is angry when he goes into the temple. He's sleeping in a boat when the boat is in a rage. He's sad at the tomb of Lazarus. He managed to be hungry while he's in the wilderness. He endured and expressed the feelings just like you and I. Now let's, let's just take a recap here. Can you imagine the, the very son of God divinely expresses the humanity that's in him. So he goes into a temple and notices that the money changers in there are using it to exploit people to gouge them out of more than what they should be charging them. And the Bible says that Jesus turned the tables over and got angry and cleared the house out. Now you must understand that the space to which money changers occupy was underneath the temple, 
underneath what we would call the sanctuary, the meeting place. So Jesus, let's just use modern terms, goes into the fellowship hall and discovered that folk in there extracting and extorting money from other people shows you something about him that you don't expect for the divine son of God to do. He got mad and turned the house out. Now, I, I like that because Jesus says to me, I know how you feel when you get mad in church. You didn't catch that. Let me say it one more time. Jesus says, I know how you feel when you get mad in church. In other words, church ain't off limit to my anger because there's things that happen in the house that does make me mad. And Jesus said, it's okay, but, but just understand, don't stay there very long. Because if you do, then you will miss my connection to use your anger to bring blessing to the people. Remember what Paul says? It's okay to be angry, but don't allow the sun to go down on your wrath. In other words, even in the wrathful moment, always seek to somehow bring that sunshine to a dark space that everybody might experience redemption. It's a familiar face that I can understand with God. He's weary, says verse 6, but he's weary from his journey. That's what I like. He's weary from his journey. Weary means that he's exhausted, as I said before. He's tired. He's worn out. He's depleted. He's fatigued. He's drained. And he's used up. And if you've been in church long enough, you'll know that if you serve in ministry, you, you, you hang out there long enough, we'll fatigue you, we'll burn you out, we'll use you up. But it's not necessarily what we would call uh, an, an effort, what's the word I want to use? It's not something that we, we did purposeful to damage or harm you. But serving the Lord seems to do that sometimes. People will drain you. Stuff will drain you. You wonder if it will ever change. It's been this way for the last who knows how many years. And why do we keep going through the same cycle over and over again? We want something different, but we're not really willing to work to make it different. We want divine intervention but we don't want divine interruption in our lives. We want God to fix it, but we don't want God to use us to fix it. Now, that's on my street, because, you know, a lot of times I tell the Lord, I just don't understand why you, go, you make me go through it. Why don't you just fix it? Just get it over with. That way I don't have to be so stressed out. And God doesn't do that. I'm using you because in helping them, I'm helping you. Because you need help. And Jesus is wore out. I'm convinced he's wore out. Remember, he just left the disciples who had suffered the beheading of John the Baptist and trying to emotionally build them back up. He's wore out. And he sets down by Jacob's well. He's experiencing weariness. And here's what I came to tell you. I said, all that tell you this. In order to get him prepared <clears throat> for the next ministry assignment, 
and you know what the next ministry assignment was. It didn't take a genius to see that. Read the rest of John 4, at least the next 15, 20 verses. He's going to meet a woman at this well. And all of us have the prayer, I hope, I believe, hope, I believe, I hope, and believe that this is your prayer. Lord, use me how you see fit. With whomever, whenever, wherever, use me. And if this is your, your prayer, be prepared because in your weariness, God needs to prepare you for the next ministerial assignment. And, and that means I can't use you unless you're refreshed and unless you're prepared and ready to be used. And what does God do? He leads Jesus, reverse, go back to verse 4, to this planned place. Planned place. In other words, God says, I have you where I have you right now, planned, in the program. I know you wanted another alternative, but this is the best one for you. This is the best way to help you. Why? Because there's opposition, and there are obstacles, and yet there are opportunities. That's why verse 4 says, he had to pass and you think about it, there are some lessons and some blessings in life when you think about what you had to go through to get to that lesson and blessing and you realize, man, I don't know how I could have gotten that had it not been for that space and that event and that experience that God made me go through. Even with this obstacle, and it was hurtful, it was difficult to overcome. But I knew I would never have known the power or the favor of God had I not had that obstacle. It helped me realize I can overcome all things and I am victorious in all things, but I had to go through it. Not just the obstacle that's in that place, but the opposition. And that's what got me because I thought about opposition. Now, that tells me, Lord, that's people who's against me or what I'm attempting to do. And God says, that, that's okay. I, you, you need that. You need that stretching because if you're going to proclaim that you know me, I want to know how strong are you going to stand on what you know. And once again, when you think about what you have been through, and how you've gotten the victory, if it had not been you going through what you went through, but more importantly, if it hadn't been for your conviction about what God will do and how you had to hang on. And there were times when you had to hang on when there was no evidence at all that you were going to win this thing or become out victorious, but you kept hanging on. And every time you tried to get more of the rope, wasn't much left, but you got more and more and more. And you kept hanging on. And now that you look back, you say, God, it was a hard journey. And they were some opposing individuals. And it was some opposing experience but if it had not been for that I would not have learned how powerful prayer is I would not have learned how faithful obedience is I would not have learned how you got power working on the inside of me I would not have known what's living on the inside of me I would not have realized from whom all blessings flow I would not have known how you got your hand on all things 
Because through all that, there were opportunities. Opportunities that may have came at another time, but I would not have been prepared to step into those roles. See, that's the thing about what God does when he takes you through and you had to go through that thing when you've been praying about would God open the door and bless you and allow your gift to expand and make your territory larger God says we're going to do that but remember we're not just going to do that help has it but, but have you been like me wait a minute Lord when I look at so and so you ain't make him go through nothing he just seemed to came out of the wound and went straight to the top of the tower but me you take me to hell, make me stay down there and hang around for a while. Then you bring me back out. Then you send me back again. Then you bring me back out. Got all kind of burn marks on me. And then you still won't let me get to where I'm desiring to go. I ain't the only one. I know, I know y'all feel the same way I do. But you let him or her just look at it. They're just sailing. Just sailing on through. No matter what they touch, it seems to turn into gold. Here I am toiling and sweating, I mean breaking fingers, everything, and not getting nowhere. And Jesus said, I just want to see if you're going to hang out with me. Are you going to really hang out? Or are you hanging out with me because of favor? Or are you hanging out with me because of faith? I already know, says, I just want you to see for yourself. You're only going to be with me because I'm blessing or you're going to be with me even when I give you burdens. So I planned this place. That's what verse 4 says. I planned this place. It's a familiar place because I'm saying with Jesus, I know what it means to go through some place you don't want to go. I'm burdened. But it's a planned place, verse 4, but look at verse 5. It's a particular place, Samaria. 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 Why, why Samaria? Couldn't we have picked some other little town on the way? I mean, you know, is there some place? No, no, in Samaria. Because I, I, got, I got an assignment for you in Samaria. Translation, in this department, I, I wanted the other department over there where I knew the other folk, not this department. I don't know nobody in this department. I don't know nobody here, and, and they work too long. I, I didn't want to be here. I wanted to be over in the other department where I knew everybody, and I knew their schedule, and I knew the boss, and I knew everything. And plus, I knew the folk. We, we would have no problem. But this department here, I don't know nobody here. In fact, I, I had an interview. I didn't care too much for the interviewer. He, yeah, just, yeah, it just didn't seem right. Uh, and this is where you land me? Yeah, right here where, where you don't want to be, in this particular place. Yeah. But, see, they get promotions quicker over there. It, it doesn't take a lot more. I know. I know. It takes longer. In fact, you may not even get one down here. But this is where I want you at. You ever looked at God and say, I, I, don't, I just don't think you're right. I think you're wrong. I don't think you're fair. It's, it's just not fair to do me like this. I'm qualified to be over there and not right here. I don't want to be here. I feel wasted here. 
in God. Say, good, that's, that's a good thing. I want you to think that way. Um, because remember, we're not planting tree, I mean, we're not planting seeds for a year. We're developing people for a lifetime. I wish, I, I've always wanted the quick growth, you know. Uh, I wanted to be one of those pastors where one year and, you know, the church was all out in the parking lot. There's just so many people. You, you couldn't, you just had to open up the doors or put speakers in the doors so everybody could hear the service. You know, that, that crazy kind of growth. Not just 8 o'clock, not just 11 o'clock, but we had to put in another service. Ooh, that's the good stuff. Yeah. But it never happened that way. And I know some folk that happened to can't preach a lick have no theology in their preaching at all. Got a sweet hope, but that's it. And folk just all out in the Paul down Zion Drive, all the way down to Bradley, just waiting in line. I'm like, Lord, what, what's up with that? And Jesus led me to a passage in John 21, I think it's John 21, when uh, Jesus is sitting there with the disciples and he's uh, giving out assignments and uh, Peter looks at Jesus and says, and well, what about John? What, what kind of time are you going to get John? And read it. Jesus says, mind your business. Just, just mind your business. You, you, you take care of what I told you to do. Mind your business and let me do this. And when I brought that up to the Lord about somebody else, guess what he said? Mind your business. Just, you, you got enough at 10185. They just stay right there and do what I've told you. Just stay in fact, stay out of other people. Take your nose out of other people's business and put all your nose in your own business. Just, just stay right there where you are. I, I got that. I know what's going on over there. But mind your business. That's why I got you in this peculiar, particular place. Because that's where I'm going to use your gift. I identified the prophet Jeremiah so desperately. I love Jeremiah because Jeremiah preached all of his years and we don't have any recorded incident in the book of Jeremiah where anybody actually heard him. By heard him, I mean received this message and was changed. He preached and nobody really, from what we can tell, even cared. He wrote back to the Lord and I, Jeremiah 23 said, Lord, you, you, you didn't tell me that preaching was like this. You didn't tell me my family would be against me. You didn't tell me the city would be against me. You didn't tell me I'd get put in jail. You didn't tell me none of the stuff that negatively would happen to me. And isn't that just like God? He don't never tell you all this stuff. Just wait till you get to this particular place. And boom, there it is. But in doing that, he took Jesus in verse 5 to that particular place. But he also took Jesus in verse 6 to a providing place, Jacob's well. And it ain't much. It was a little small well, just enough to draw water to feed the animals, draw water for yourself, but it was provision. And you know what I've come to realize? Every Sunday when I come here, I just look out and I just kind of wonder why, Lord, and God tells me it may not be much, but it's provision. 
It's, it's a feeding trough. That's, that's not a bad analogy. <laughs> it's not to reduce you from human to animal, but it's a place where folk come who are hungry. It's where thirsty souls come to quench their thirst. And guess what? I appointed you to be the shepherd to make sure every Sunday there's food in the trough and there's water in the well. Because when they come, they're not looking to see who's to the left or to the right. They come with an empty pitcher, with an open hand, and they got really just one simple prayer, Lord, feed me till I won't no more. It's a providing place. That's what this little church is. It's a providing place. We don't burst in numbers. We don't have a lot of folk rolling all on the ground, falling through, carrying on, running around, speaking in tongues, yada, 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 yada. But I'm convinced it's a providing place. Every Sunday, someone comes to this place because spiritually, they soul finds happiness. Their soul finds satisfaction in the food they get. You know, I've been privileged. I think it's privileged. I guess it may not be. I've ate at five-star restaurants. Ain't all that impressed. Four-star is I. But don't nothing take the place of my mama, grandmama, grandmama deceased now, but my mama's simple meal at the table. Just simple stuff. Lord, I, you know, I want all of the accretions of the technology. I want all of the stuff that, that the big churches had. And God says, is that actually about salvation or is that just about your own greed? What about greed? Lord, I ain't got no greed. I, I'm trying to help progress us. Then all you got to do is just preach the word. That's all I want you to do. I'll give the stuff as it's needed. Have you noticed that you haven't gone hungry? Church. You haven't gone thirsty? Church. And even with the small numbers we've had, and we've, we've had struggles, we've still been victorious. Because God has made us a providing place. I close by telling you this. Nothing, nothing makes that more apparent to me than when we have a death in this church. And we're at a point now where we, we really can't have hospitality stretch out during the week because folk work. You feel me, folk work. And I'm, I'm just be trying to imagine my mind. How you gonna walk up to your boss and say, I need to take off today because there's a funeral in my church? I mean, I, you probably don't use those exact words, but I guess you have to kind of tell them why you take it off. Oh, there's a funeral in my church and I serve on the hospitality committee and I need to be there. Uh, you might want to be here if you want a job come tomorrow. So. You know, we have to put out the call. We need help. We need hands. And we come through every time. Amen. 
Provision is not always in the numbers. It's in the compassion of those who are serving. Isn't that something? That's what provision is. When someone can walk out of this building at the end of a homegoing service and I ask a question, was everything okay? And they say, more than enough. Thank you so much. Zion has overwhelmingly blessed us. That's because here's the point. When they were in their weary moment from the journey, God used this providing place. And every Sunday morning, somebody's been weary from the week's journey. <laughs> Especially if you work for the federal government. I ain't gonna mess with that too much. But you know what? You don't even have to work for the federal government. Just being in America and just trying to hold yourself down and watching the shift in the political climate and the economic climate and the moral climate and the ethical climate, you see changes. And you kind of wonder, my goodness, which direction are we going? And I need church on Sunday morning to, to help me recognize there is hope. I mean, even, even when it's dark, there is some hope. I mean, I, I realize it's a bad moment, but if I just get to church on Sunday morning and I want my quietest, that's the reason why music ministry, we got to get prepared and sing like your mind is going crazy. Preaching, we got to preach as if it's our last time. Serving as if we ain't going to serve no more because somebody needs to have some provision on Sunday morning and when they get here after being worn out from the course of the week I need a good song and a good sermon and a good prayer and a good amen and a good hug I, I need everything to push me on to let me know it may be dark now but joy is coming in the morning and then grandmama's laying if I just hold on to God's unchanging Build my hope on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. In this providing place at the well, that's where God has us. And then it becomes my private place. This, this is my private place. It's my private spot where I come to get my soul blessed. And sometimes I'm blessed by people who I don't even expect to be a blessing that morning. They just say something or sing. Sometimes I'm shocked. I didn't even know that person could sing. I didn't know you had a voice. But it blesses my soul. Because that's what God does. It's a familiar space that Jesus is in. Because it's the same space that I'm in. Same space we're in. Lord, 